Good morning, Doxa Church. Guys, this is amazing. Yes. I'm so used to just having to stare at a camera and a sound guy, and you guys are way better looking than them. So that's, that's mean. That's not the way you start off a sermon. Okay, guys, I'm so sorry. I don't, I'm, I'm rusty, okay? I'm, I don't know how to talk to people. Um, but guys, so good to see you. For those of you who are joining online, guys, it's, it's great to have you here virtually with us. I'm just reminded that we're just another day closer to having the entire Doxa family back together. And guys, I'm, I'm just so excited for that day, but this is a, a good first step. And so if you're new or visiting or tuning in, and this is kind of one of the first times we've never met, my name is Rob, I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, but it's a great day. We, we're here together, but it's also Father's Day, right? Got some dads in here? Dads, do this for me, stand up for me. If you're a dad, stand up. Give it up for these dads. Now, dads, I'm just going to have you to keep standing. Just keep standing. I know some of you don't like to do this, but here's, here's what I say, guys. Being a father is, is such a high calling, you know, and, and dads, God's, God made us first and foremost to be with him and be his kid through faith in Jesus, but he also gave us the task to lead our kids to Jesus, and he empowered us through faith, to live like Jesus and image God the Father well. And all of us dads, we're, we're kind of in this place where we're being celebrated today. Like, you know, like hopefully you feel loved by, by your kids, but we're also in this place where this day should make us kind of just feel the weight of, of being a dad. Because it is a, a high calling to be a dad. And so to the dads here, to the dads online, as one dad just speaking to, to many, let me just say this. Guys, let's keep loving Jesus with all that we have. Let's keep leading and seeking to, to run the race of, of faith well. And, and even when we fail to love in the way that our heavenly father loves, let's be the type of guys that lean in and repent and keep trusting Jesus for the sake of our kids, for the sake of our families, for the sake of the world. And so I just wanna say like, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, and it's such an honor to have you dads here with us. So guys, give it up one more time. Happy Father's Day, dads. All right, grab your Bibles. All right, open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. If, if you're newer and, and you don't have a Bible, um, guys, one of the things that we, we do here at, at Doxa is every time we gather like this on Sunday, we, we gather around the Bible and we seek to hear from God and by his power and presence in our life, we respond to him, thereby becoming the men and women in the church that he's created us to be. So if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one today. As you walk out today, you can turn left out the auditorium doors. There's a welcome area. There's a ton of Bibles on the wall. Take as many as you want. But today what we're going to do is, is we're going to hit pause on our, on our James study, all right? We've been walking through the book of James together. We're gonna hit pause today, and, and we're gonna talk about a really important topic, all right? Today's Father's Day, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at this idea of God as Father. And I wanna begin with this, okay? Take a look at this statement. A.W. Tozer, great godly man, a pastor, theologian, he once said that what comes to, into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And guys, this statement is, is so profound, it is, is so true. Because when you, when you think about it, guys, when we hear the name or the word God, 
There's so many different things that can come into our mind. There's so many different things that we can think about because our experiences throughout our life, the things that we've lived through, the things that we've just been told and just experienced, guys, they inform and they shape the way that we view people. They inform and shape the way that we view just life in general, reality, but they also can inform and shape the way that we view God. But here's the reality, okay? One of the things that should come to our mind when we think about God is the word father. All right, because if you spend any amount of time in the Bible, one of the primary ways that God reveals himself to us in the Bible is that of father. I mean, even when you look at Jesus, if you look at Jesus's words, his favorite way to address God is using the word father. I mean, for example, throughout the four gospels, Jesus uses this term to talk about God over 165 times. God is father. As this is such a massive topic, such a profoundly important thing for our lives. But here's the question, right? When we come to the Bible, we, we always ask these questions. And the question that, that we have to ask is, why this amount of emphasis? Like, why this specific way to reveal God? And here's what I believe to be true. Because with, with God, there's, there's no coincidences, there's, there's no accidents. But when we hear the fatherly language given to us in the Bible, this is ultimately to help us to know the truth about who God is. It's to help us to know the truth about the love that God has for us. Because if you think about it, when you think of a father, we should think of someone who desires a relationship with us, who cares for us. You know, I mean, dads love their children. They want to spend time with them. They want to care for them. They want to love them. They want their children to know how much they would risk to protect them. They want their children to know, like, what they would do if they would ever lose them. This is what dads do. And so for a Christian, a child of God, guys, hear this. It's pretty great that we have a dad like that, right? I can't see if you're smiling. We've got these face coverings on. So thumbs up, amens, whatever. That's just helpful for me, okay? But this is pretty great, right? We have a God who loves us like a father. Now, there's an issue with this. That's emphatically true. But here enters into the problem because there's something that tends to happen with, with many of us, if not every single one of us. What we tend to do is we tend to project our experience with our earthly father onto our heavenly father. And so some of you in here, you, you, didn't, you don't know your dad. Some of you in here, you, you had a really bad dad. He was absent, he was abusive. And there's some of you in here, you have great dads and hopefully you tell them that today. But the reality is, is like what we do is we, we tend to project our, our experience with our earthly father and our heavenly father. And even if he's really, really great, he pales in comparison to who our God actually is. And because of this, many people just have a really malnourished view of God as father and a really inadequate understanding of the love that he has for us as his kids. Let me just give you like a, a really practical example from my life. All right, you know, growing up, I, I, I've shared some of my past with you, but growing up, like one of the things that that I heard from my dad consistently was this statement. I, I, I still remember, like he'd be sitting in his rocking chair smoking his cigarette and he'd be like, Rob, somewhere out there, there is somebody working harder than you. And when you meet them face to face, they're gonna beat you. 
And I know some of you dads in here, you're elbowing your kid and being like, you hear that son? That you pay attention, that's really good, right? And it's like manly, right? And this was in the context of like football and athletics, but here's what this did. It, is, it wasn't just motivating, but it was shaping for me. Because I always heard from my dad, someday you will be fill in the blank. Someday you will be enough. Someday you will be good enough. Someday you're gonna be the strongest. Someday you're gonna be the best football player. Someday you are gonna be enough. And then my dad died. And I'm in this place, even now, where I never really heard my dad say that I was enough. It was always someday. And, I, and it and affected my, my view and my understanding of a father's love. And even when I became a Christian, I carried that experience from my earthly dad and into my experience with my, my heavenly dad. And I remember just sitting there thinking like, okay, am I doing enough for God? Like, does he love me? Is he happy with me? Like, am I working hard enough? And, and I would find times, like even when I got into full-time ministry, I would find, find times where I'm like, I don't think I'm working hard enough. I don't think I'm a producing enough. God must not be happy with me. And my like intimacy with him was just, it, it was really strange. Guys, this happens to so many people. And more than we even may know, and to me, it's just devastating that the very thing that God has given us, the word Father, to reflect his love and his mercy and his faithfulness is the very thing keeping many from really fully enjoying God. Because I'm, I'm 38 years old, and this is really just still a daily fight for me. I mean, it's, it's a fight to trust that God thinks of me differently than my dad did. It's a fight to not assume that, that God is liking to discipline me more than he likes to bless me. It's a fight to not think that God is disappointed with me more often than he is delighting in me. And some days, I'll be just completely honest with you, it's like, it's like hopelessly exhausting. But this, listen to this, guys, this is precisely why we need the Bible. And that's why we at, at Doxa here, we, we seek to be a Bible-saturated family, that one of the first things that we learn about God in the very first chapter of Genesis is that God reveals himself in words. I mean, no less than 10 times in the opening chapter of the Bible, we hear a phrase say, God said, that we have a God who speaks. And this great truth is affirmed thousands of times throughout the Bible, and it's really kind of the foundation of the Christian faith. And when we consider this book, all right, this book is all about getting to know the God who created us, our heavenly loving Father. And I want you just to hear this, and we need to know this, Doc, so that apart from God's voice in our lives, apart from God's word in our lives, we will not know who God is, we won't know the extent of God's fatherly love for us, and we won't know what our position is as his kids. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna hear from God through a story in Luke 15. All right, called the story of the prodigal son. And if you've been around the church for a while, chances are you've heard this story many a times, but through our time, God is gonna break in and he's gonna teach us something about his love for us as a father. All right, so as we get into this, I need to share just two preliminary things to help us understand this, okay? The first thing is this, is that when we consider this story, the story of the prodigal son, that this word prodigal just means recklessly spending. It means to spend until you have nothing left, okay? And we're gonna get back into that here in just a few minutes. But the second thing is this, is throughout this story, we're gonna meet three people, okay? We're gonna meet a young son, a father, 
and an older son. And we need to understand, and if you miss this, okay, we're, we're going to miss the whole point of what Jesus is trying to teach us. The father in this story represents God, while both of the sons represent us. And there's a ton for us to learn about God and his fatherly love, his relentless love for us. So here we go. Luke 15, verse 11 is where we're going to start. And this is what we see. And he said, all right, so Jesus is telling this story. And one of the reasons Jesus is telling this story is to show people the truth about the love of God. That even in this day, there were people that were confused and had a misunderstanding of who God is and how God loves. And so Jesus tells them this story. There was a man who had two sons. Both of those represent us. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father, who's a picture of God in this story, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. This is where we get the language of the prodigal son. Reckless living, spending everything, being just extravagantly spending. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that, are, that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So here's what we're seeing. This, this younger son, he goes to his dad and he asks him for his inheritance, okay? Basically what he would get when his dad would die, kind of like a will, all right? And obviously this was like a slap in the face to the dad because his son was basically saying, I wish you were dead, all right? Like, I, I don't want you, I, I want your stuff. And so you look pretty healthy. You got, some, you got some wheels, some tread left on the tires. Like, let's just act like you're dead. Give me what I would get when you die and I'll be out of here. And I just want you to just to pause, dads, parents, just imagine like hearing this from your kid. Like put yourself in the, I mean, it's something that we don't even want to think about. But this was the kid's posture. This was the kid's attitude. This is what he said. And so the story goes on. The father just does it. He divides up the property and he lets him go. And so the son gets the money and he just takes off gets as far away, it says he goes to a distant land, he gets as far away as he possibly can, and he just does whatever he wants. This was kind of his MO. He thought he was living under the oppressive thumb of his dad, and he just wanted to, to go. And he's there, and for a while, everything is great. Life's just one big party, right? He's getting crazy, he's doing some questionable stuff, he's, he's doing it, like the, giving it the old college try, right? Salt company students, don't do that, okay? Right? But he's, he's going hard. And finally, he realizes that he just spent everything. He has nothing left, not even enough money to buy food. And so he thinks, man, I, I can't, like, go home. I, I told my dad, like, I hated him. I can't go back, and so I just, I'll, I'll go find a job. And the only job he can find is working on a pig farm. And so he starts working there. He's making no money. He's sitting in the pig sty watching these pigs eat their food, and he's so hungry that he's like thinking about eating the pig food. Now, guys, here's the thing. As you're picturing what's going on here, this is meant to evoke something in us. All right, this is meant for us to see like an absolutely pathetic, disgusting picture. Now, we don't understand this because you're like, oh, he got a job. That's great. Pigsty, like, I mean, that's fast food, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like, but in the original context, okay, Jews 
viewed pigs as unclean. And so as Jesus told this story, the original audience would have been thinking, wow, okay, like this is a terrible situation. This kid is at rock bottom. And so this kid realizes that he's in this terrible situation, that there's nothing to do, that he's living a tragedy, and there's only one option for life. So he realizes that things need to change, and he decides to go back to his father. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Guys, the son is so desperate that he decides to do the unthinkable. He decides to go back to his father and basically just beg for forgiveness. And so he's like walking home and he, and he gets within seeing distance. The way that I picture this is like, there's this probably there's this long dirt road leading up to this house and he's just walking home. He gets within seeing distance of his house and his dad is kind of like waiting for him, sitting in a rocking chair from Cracker Barrel, right? Just rocking back and forth, waiting for his dad or his son to come home. And all of a sudden, the dad looks up and he sees his boy walking down the street, probably with his head down, and immediately starts running. And guys, this part of the story is a huge cultural surprise in the original audience. All right, because in this time, like fathers would wait for their sons to come to them and address them and, and see if there was some indication of respect, and then they would respond. But this father is so overcome with joy at the sight of his boy that he goes and he runs. And guys, even more in this time, like fathers like this, older Jewish men, they, they didn't run, okay? Like it was seen as unhonorable. So they would walk, right? People would run to them, but they would never run. So chances are this kid has never seen his dad run before. And so he's probably walking down the street and he sees his dad take off and he's like, what is happening? Dad is running, and he's probably like, okay, he's really mad. He's probably looking in his hand, is he have a screwdriver or a shank or something? Is he going to stab me, right? Like, he doesn't know what's going on, right? And now all of a sudden, the dad gets to him, and the son just tries to, like, intercept him and starts to beg and say, Dad, I'm so sorry. And this dad just grabs him and hugs him and kisses him and just says, shh. And I just picture that embrace, the father just holding his boy. And he gets him a robe, which symbolizes being reinstated into the family. He gives him a family ring. And then he throws a huge party to celebrate his kid coming home. Look, keep going. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called to one of the servants and asked, what does this mean? And he said to them, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, and he begged him. But he said, Father, he, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to them, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead 
and is alive. He was lost and is found. All right, so this older brother's just walking back from working hard in the field. Hears music, celebrating, asks what's going on. He finds out the father is celebrating because his younger son came home. And upon hearing this, this older brother is angry. And he refuses to go into this party. And he says to his dad, look, I've, I've served you for years. I've, I've never disobeyed your command. You've never thrown me a party. But then your crazy son comes home who's wasted everything and now you're happy, you're celebrating and you want me to come be part of this? And I want you guys to look back. Look at this, look at the two words the older son says here. He uses the word served in command. And this is so important to understand why he's so upset. All right, the problem is that the older brother related to his father as a servant to a master, not as a son to a dad. All right, that his father was merely a command giver and he was a command keeper. And therefore, merit, not mercy, was the foundation of their relationship. And mercy to his undeserving younger brother just made him so angry. But in the midst of this, in the midst of this older son's anger, the dad goes out and begs him to come into the party, and then the story ends. And we really never, under, we never know what happens to the older brother. You don't know if he goes into the party or not. So guys, this is the story. But here's the question for us. What are we to learn about God as Father? All right, because Jesus didn't just tell this story to entertain us, but, but really to in, not just even inform us, but to transform us, to transform our thinking about who God is. And so I want to show you three things, all right, three glorious truths that we learn about our Heavenly Father through this story that Jesus told, three things that are so beautiful that I pray as we hear them that this would stir your love, this would stir your affection for God in such a way that you would understand more clearly today than you did walking in here that who God is and the love that he has for you, that you would want to take another step towards him. And the first thing is this, God is a father who graciously gives. All right, look back to the text. All right, this, the father in this story is a picture of God. He's a gracious giver. Verse 12, the father gives to his son upon his request. Verse 22, the father gives forgiveness. Verse 31, the father says, all that I have is yours. All right, Doxa, you just need to know that God is a father who graciously gives. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. All right, there is a lot of bad theology floating around this topic out there, all right? Like Netflix just released like a documentary not too long ago called American Gospel that is all about this. You should watch it. It's really informative. But what this does not mean is that God is some type of like magical ATM, all right? He's not like a cosmic sugar daddy that just gives us everything, right? This is not who God is. Sugar daddy is weird. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes thoughts were, yeah, they're difficult. Okay. But God doesn't give us all that we want, but he gives us all that we need. He's gracious. And I chose those words, graciously gives, very intentionally. And I wanna, I wanna explain them to you real quick, okay? Guys, gracious. God's grace is just his unmerited favor his undeserving love, and the word grace is used around 600 times throughout the Bible, so it's this big deal, this big concept. God's unmerited favor towards us, meaning that no one, none of us deserve anything from God because we're, we're sinful people and we've rebelled against him. Now, 
this flies in the face of, of the culture that we live in, which kind of embraces this idea of entitlement. That many people in our world think that we deserve something. Like that's why sometimes we get so mad, like I deserve this. I've worked hard for this, I, I deserve it. But when we realize that we are all sinful people and God is holy and in our sin, what we have actually done is spit in the face of God that we realize that we don't actually deserve anything but hell. And as we read this story of the prodigal son, we, we just need to understand that, guys, we're all like him. Maybe not in practice, but in essence. All right, because I want you to consider this. Just as the younger son, look back to verse 21. When the younger son says, he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Guys, we are in this place. Every single one of us, we're in this place, that we all have sin in our lives. The godliest person that you know is still sinful. And I will tell you that Rob Warren has sin in his past, in his present, and I have sin that I haven't got to yet, but I promise you that I will. We are all broken and sinful, and I talk about this all the time, and I explain the nature of sin so we understand what it is. Like, sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says, and the very nature of sin is that it separates. It separates us from God, and it separates us from each other, and on our own, we are separated from God. And if this goes on forever, this is where we get into the terrible conscious reality of hell. But hear this, the two greatest words in the Bible is, but God. But God, by his grace, through faith in Jesus, he takes that sin which causes separation and causes us to be enemies of God and he gives us his righteousness to become children of God and allows us to call God Father. Guys, God is a Father who is so gracious to us. The second word, gives, graciously gives. All right, like, guys, if you just read the Bible, Throughout the entirety of the Bible, we see God giving. Let me, just, let me just show you this, okay? The Bible starts off in the book of Genesis with God giving. He gives life. I mean, the fact that we have breath in our lungs is a gift from God. He gives us life. We move forward, God gives us the law. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He gives us the law to show us who he is, to show us who we are and how ultimately to live our lives, but more importantly, to point us to Jesus to show us that we need a savior because there's something wrong with us. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, he gives us his words throughout the prophets. That he gives us these people to speak, speak words about him and about them to, to let them know the reality in which he lives. And then as we get into the New Testament, he gives us himself as the Lord Jesus Christ. That God exits his throne in heaven and he steps into the human story, the human predicament. He gives us himself and he gives us a way that Jesus lives a life that I couldn't live. He dies a death that I should have died and he rose to obtain the one thing that I could never get on my own, salvation and victory over sin, death, and hell. And Jesus gives us that and then it doesn't even stop there. That God gives us a future. That there is an inheritance. Guys, no matter how good you think your life is right now, the best is always yet to come. And we look forward to this day where God will restore all things, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will just be in perfection. God is a generous giver. In fact, Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I only want one thing. One thing. What does he want? This is like call and response time. Right? He wants our sin. One thing. 
He says, come and give me that one thing. Give me your sin and I will give you everything. And you can look at that and be like, this is kind of like a bum deal for Jesus, like a bad business transaction. And Jesus looks at that and he says, I know, but I love you. And this is the only way that you can be with me. And I love you. I love you. He gives. And I love, guys, I want you just to remember Ephesians chapter one. Write it down. Read it today. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but... The Apostle Paul gives us this beautiful chapter to remind us of everything that God gives us. He just gives us these these beautiful glimpses that if we're in Christ, that if we've come to faith in Jesus, here's what we've been given. Just look, look, listen to this, okay? Paul says he's given us every spiritual blessing. He says that God has, has chosen us. He says that God has, has given us like sonship, that he has adopted us into his family. He's given us redemption of our sin. He's given us forgiveness of everything we've done, are doing, and we're going to do. He's given us an inheritance that we're waiting for. He's given us himself and the persons and the presence of the Holy Spirit that that God gives us himself as a guarantee that we are his. Guys, and so very practically, the next time that you're tempted to think that God is not a generous giver and that he's holding out on you, go straight to Ephesians 1. Go straight to Ephesians 1 and let the word of God remind you of what you've been given through faith in Jesus, that he is a father who loves you and he has filled your life with goodness both now and for eternity. So God is a father who graciously gives. The second thing is this, is that God is a father who eagerly redeems. And I love this. Okay, this is seen so clearly as we look at the younger son. And, and I want you just to picture this, okay? If, if this was told differently, let me just give you like a, a different narrative of how this could be told. Like if we were told this story and it, it kind of went like this young son came home and he went to his father and he apologized and then the father kind of said, you know what? I, I really appreciate you coming back and I, I really appreciate your apology. That's, that's great. I'm glad that you did that. But this is gonna take a while. And I, and I think that you're probably like being like, real with me and you maybe actually are sorry but I don't really know I can't trust you anymore because what you did was was so incredibly bad maybe we can like maybe we can like have you over for Christmas next year but but you're not welcome to stay here because what you did was just awful you know if we read that we we might think like okay yeah I mean that that makes sense you know because maybe that's even some of your experiences with your father right They haven't really forgave you, and it's like, okay, this is process. Guys, this is not who our God is. It's not who our God is. I mean, let me put it like this. Some of you would think, and maybe you you would go to God and say, God, have I, like, run too far this time? Like, is it over? Like, have I run so hard in the opposite direction of you that there's no coming back? Like, have I done too much this time? Am I running too far? What God is saying to us through this story is this. You ran, but so did I. Amen? This is what he's saying. And this is what I'm here to tell you today, guys. It doesn't matter how hard or far you have run from God. If you turn around, you are back. Period. I don't care about who you think you are or what you've done or what you've thought or what you've said or what you've believed. If you will just turn around and say to God, I am back. He will hug you and embrace you and redeem you now, eagerly. This is our father. God has the heart of a father. 
And here's the good news, guys. Malachi 3.6 says that God never changes. And so even if you're like, oh, that's a great story. That's probably not who God is in my life today. He never changes. He is a loving father, eagerly ready to redeem all who have wandered away. And the younger son, as he approaches his father, he just relies totally on his dad's mercy. He's completely humble, recognizing that the only right that he has to appeal to his father is just by him just being gracious and saying, I'll help you. Doc, so this is in essence what it means to turn to God and be redeemed. I mean, Luke 5.31 says that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance and repentance is really just to turn from our sin and to turn to God and the younger son does this and he approaches the father humbly in a spirit of repentance and he discovers how full of grace the father is. And guys, the only reason it makes sense for us to start off a service singing a song like Amazing Grace is because this is actually true. We're seeing the depths of the Father's love and how he eagerly loves to redeem us from sin and mistakes. And now listen to this, guys. When we understand this, this is not so much the story of the prodigal son, but this is the story of the prodigal God. God is a prodigal God, that he is reckless and relentless with his love for us. That his love for us just doesn't seem to, to make sense, but this is who God is. That just like the father in the story, God says, just come to me and I will show you great love and forgiveness and I will redeem you no matter what, that there is no one too far gone, period. And when I think about this personally, I, I think of what the apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, in Romans 5.8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, is that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. This means that when I was completely running against God and away from God and everything that he stands for, when I was doing things that were illegal and evil and when I was a womanizer and an addict and just a pathetic excuse for a man, Jesus didn't look at me with contempt, but he looked at me with love. The father saw me in my brokenness and said, just come to me. And I'm gonna show you love. And not just that, he made a way for me. And just as the father redeemed his son in this story and brought him back into the, the family, God did that in my life. Is that anyone else's story here? Yes. This is our father. And so practically, guys, some of you, you don't know the father. You haven't come to Jesus. And I want to say it's okay for you to start there. But the goal is that you wouldn't stay there that God has brought you here today to tell you of the great love of the Father, how much you need him so that you can turn to him and let him redeem your life and take your sin so that he can give you everything in him for eternity. Others of you, you do know the Father, you're Christians, but maybe you're running. Maybe you're stuck in sin. And the Father's saying the same thing to you, turn to me and repent, let me restore you and redeem you. As this is our Father. He sees you, He loves you, regardless of anything about you right now. Now, the last thing is this God is a Father who relentlessly invites. It keeps getting better. I keep saying I love this, but I do love this, okay? But because we, we see the Father in this story, He doesn't just run out to receive, but He runs to invite. Right, that he receives his young son as he comes home, but the older son, he runs out to invite. 
All right, and the reality is the older son was just as lost as the younger one. All right, the only difference was is that the older son played by the rules. The older brother has been around the father, but doesn't really know him well. He doesn't really love him. That the older brother, his activity for his father by itself or his proximity to his dad is not the same thing as knowing him and loving him through relationship by turning to him. Do you see the difference? All right, the older son is, is really just comparable to the person who is very religious. I know that there's some of you in here and, and maybe watching like online that you, you would consider yourself like a very religious person. You do all the right types of things. Like you go to the church and you, you give and you do all those different things. This was the older brother. He, he did everything because he just wanted to get what he perceived would be the benefits. But he didn't really love his dad. He was basically just pretending. But I see this in verse 28. Look at this. Just like the father ran to the younger son to forgive him and love him. Verse 28, the father came out and begged him. He begged him, come into the party. You don't understand how lost you are. You don't understand like how much I love you. But just come into the party and you will learn. This is God's crazy affection and his love for us. And guys, God the father is inviting you today just like he did in this story. He's inviting every single one of us to know him more, to trust him, to receive from him, and to live with him forever. He's inviting us into a joyful celebration that will never end. And this is why, like, when we sing songs like How Deep the Father's Love for Us, how vast beyond all measures, this is why it makes sense. So, Doxa, look at him today. Look at him. Consider Jesus, know Jesus. Learn what kind of father it is that you say that you have and you worship and you trust and you love. Like soak in the shadow of Jesus, saturate your soul with the ways of Jesus, just watch him, listen to him, stand in awe of him, love him, and let him just overwhelm you with the way that he is as a father. This is Jesus telling us this story with the goal that this would happen, that something in us would stir and we would want to take another step towards our heavenly father, knowing that he's there with open arms ready to grab us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that because of Jesus, I can say that. Thank you that I can come and we can come as your kids and boldly approach the throne of grace. That even in my, my brokenness, even in my sin and my rebellion and, and failing to be the man that you've created me to be, you're there and you're good and you love me. So God, as, as we sit here and we pray and we're about to sing, would you just help us, no matter where we're at, where we stand with you today, would you just help us to just hear from you, feel you, like encounter you? God, we, we're here for a reason, we're watching for a reason, that you, you've brought us to this place to show us and remind us that you are a father.
I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I can't think of a better way. Like, I just want to scream and thank God because this is what we do in worship, right? It's not about you being as great as Jesse, right? You're awesome. I don't sound like that, but I can scream, right? And I can thank God for who he is. And this is what we're going to do. So I want you to stand up on your feet, stand up in your houses right now, and we're going to cry out to our God and just thank him for his love as a father. So let's sing together.